0: As the as the ushers are, are moving we just want to get into our message today I hope uh, all of you who are youth and your friends are planning to be at the block party in a little while I think it's going to be amazing uh, if you're if you're going to be in the global leadership summit meeting we're having a really sh- brief uh, team meeting for the those who are uh, leading the global leadership summit right after service and uh, what I, I will I'll try to remind you of this when I'm done preaching but um, what we want you to do, we want you to get ministered to if you want to be prayed for at the end of the service or if you want to receive communion, uh, you go ahead and do that. But as soon as you're done this morning, instead of going out what you would, like you would normally do and hang out with your friends or talk to people, uh, if you would, please, if you're on the team, go right up to the Paradigm space, and uh, I'll, I'll be right up there when I'm done. And we just uh, want to put our, uh, just have a little FaceTime. Because the Global Leadership Summit is coming. We've got 100 a, a registrations up to 100, and we always have some last minute. So it looks like we're going to uh, be as, at least as many as we had last year. and We're really excited about it. If you want to sign up for that, go out to Connection Central and do that. So we're, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, where we have followed Solomon in his search for meaning in his search for a life that was something more than the futility that that faces us all. Today, uh, I want to talk to you from the subject, Stop Letting Depravity, Mystery, and Eternity Distract You. I want to talk about these three things that stop us from living well. When we see the depravity of humanity, the insanity of humanity, the things that people do every day, you just need to... Go on social media or turn on any news network, and you see evidence of the depravity of human beings. You experience it in your own life. You experience dishonesty. You experience brokenness. And it's very, very discouraging. You pour your life into people, and often they end up turning their back on you. It's very distracting. And then there's the mysteries of life, the things that we don't understand, the things that we look for answers for. And then there's the weight of eternity. Eternity can have a great impact if you understand it in God's way and if you see it from God's point of view, but eternity can also paralyze you. Uh, So what are you going to do? Are we going to become frenetic working control freaks who live with no margin in our life? Are we going to become irresponsible pleasure seekers for whom work is just an interlude between parties because we can't face the depravity, the mystery, and the weight of eternity? Peggy Lee used to sing with that hauntingly beautiful voice that she had. Uh, For those of you that are my age, my generation, she used to sing, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing Let's break up the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. That's a really interesting song. You ought to go on YouTube and just listen to all the lyrics and the verses of that song. It's a really, really interesting song, and it describes the futility that, that Solomon talks about over and over again. But there are keys today to holding meaningful, having a meaningful life, to holding work, in enjoyment of creation, in a really healthy tension, there's, there are keys to doing that, and that's what God wants us to know about. The Lord wants us to know about that because He knows that we, we struggle in search for meaning, and we, He knows that we all struggle to feel that we matter. The meaning in life is what, that, that other people matter, and, and that, that we matter means that God sees us more than just a tool. That God sees us more than just a machine. You know, more and more we're becoming a world that we're where we're becoming more and more impersonal. Especially as we see robots taking over our jobs, and we see incredible specialization in our jobs, where you go to work, and you just what you do is probably just a small part of some bigger bigger project and you don't even get to see the finished project. So we're becoming more and more depersonalized. But God, if if you will you will figure what how God views this, it will change your life. I said it will change your life. If you can understand how God fits into this, this is what Solomon found out. He tried all these other things. He tried work, he tried pleasure, he even tried wisdom, but he didn't get any answers until he went above the sun because he was talking about life under the sun until he went above the sun and he checked in with God. So it's about holding those things in tension. Work and enjoyment. My, my favorite verse in all of Ecclesiastes, I believe, is Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 18. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God We'll avoid all extremes. Now, Solomon's not promoting mediocrity, mediocrity here. He's, com- he's promoting wholeness, becoming a whole person. We've all got people and things that make us want to quit. Hey, do, you have any, do you have anybody in your life right now that's just making you want to quit? Huh? Do you have anybody in your life that's just making you want to give up? The apostle Paul seems to be making that point in 1 Corinthians 15:19 19, when he says if in this life we only have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable if in this life we have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable Now does that mean does that mean there's nothing worth living for does that mean that this life is not supposed to be does that mean this life cannot be joyful we, we used to have a saying around the church and probably many of you who are older have uh, been around my generation and you've probably heard the statement, tis one, "'Tis one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.'" But is, but is, doing, is doing, is working for Jesus the only purpose of our lives? Are we just human de- doings? Are we also human beings? I, I, I believe in that saying, and I like that saying, but there, there's something incomplete about that saying, that Tis one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. There's something incomplete about that. There's something, there's something harsh about that. There's something about that that doesn't give a human being all they need to be a human being. There's something about that that just creates a Christian working class while everybody else gets served by the Christian working class. You've heard of the 80-20 rule, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You've heard that rule, right? Well, that that saying, and, and, and I believe the misapplication of Paul's hope of the future, but kind of nothing now, is cr- creating a situation that's not all that healthy and doesn't, it's not sustainable for life. Jack Mitchell was a a very good friend of mine. And some of you know Jack Mitchell. Some of you went to his church and he built a great church in uh, Natick, Massachusetts. It's still going on today. And uh, Jack was a extraordinary man. He was extraordinary preacher. Uh, Jack had a Amazing memory, he would get up and preach a sermon like this, uh, better than this, with uh, all his points organized, all his illustrations with no notes. He would remember everything he wanted to say. He was a marvelous, he and and his wife were both marvelous human beings. Jack uh, got cancer and uh, was very, very sick. And I'll never forget the last time I visited him in the hospital. I mean, Jack had a great sense of humor. In fact, he, he said he was really sick. I mean, uh, I, I, blood was on his gum. When he would open his mouth, I could see blood on his gums. And that's how sick he was. He was dying. And he was sitting in a chair in the corner. And he said, hey, Phil, did you hear uh, about, uh, uh, um, uh, what's his name that just got, just got out of jail? Uh, O.J. Simpson. He said, he said, you hear that O.J. Simpson started a limousine service? I said, no, Jack. He said, yeah, I'll get you there with an hour to kill. <laughs> I would never tell that joke, but Jack did. Jack had a tremendous sense of humor. Uh, built a great, I mean, he could, he could draw hundreds of people just to hear him preach. And, but he said to me that day, he said, you know, Phil, I didn't know before I got sick, that people, that, anybody, that, that people really loved me. I don't know if you said anybody. That people really loved me. He said, because I knew that people needed me. He said, because I could draw a crowd. But I didn't know they loved me. Now I know they love me. That's what... That, see, that's the completion of life. That we're not here just as human de- doings. We're here as human beings. And Jack needed to know that not only was he a good worker and he was productive, he needed, he needed to know that somebody enjoyed him for something besides what he could do for them. I'm going somewhere. Just stay with me this morning. Marilyn Monroe kind of said something like this when she said, everybody wants me, but nobody loves me. Have you heard of the legend of Sisyphus? Have you heard of the legend of Sisyphus? Sisyphus, i say that correctly. He was the legendary king of Corinth, and he was punished by the gods by being forced to push a rock up a hill and have it rolled down for eternity. You say, well, I never heard of it, but I understand it. <laughs> That's how I feel. Does anybody feel like you're Sisyphus here today? I, I found a few, uh, a few images of Sisyphus on the Internet, and I thought I just thought they were pretty cool, and I think you would appreciate them. Uh, <laughs> you probably have somebody like that young lady in your life. Maybe rest one arm at a time. <laughs> Here's another image. This is a mother. Thanks, kids. Go, Mom. You can do it, Mom. Don't give up. And you, if you look at that ball, there's baking, there's cleaning, there's marriage, there's uh, shopping, there's renovations, there's dishes, there's laundry, there's tuition, there's photo-shopping. <laughs> all, the, all that stuff. And, and then one of my favorites is this one. I don't know how well that's going to show up. Yeah, it's showed up good. Hey, Sisyphus. When you got a minute, I'd like to discuss this progress report with you. When you don't discover the whole purpose of God for your life, you will feel like Sisyphus, just rolling a rock up the hill and having it come down again. And if you uh, don't figure out the, the joy that God sees in you and God has for you, there's a huge danger that you will become an angry, bitter person. Or you will try to escape through the many ways that people try to escape the futility of life. God has a better plan. What What does God say? We all, we all struggle with this, right? I struggle with these feelings. I struggle with these feelings some days in my life. That, wh- what does my life matter? When, when what I've worked very hard to do seems to come apart, when people... When people walk away that you poured so much into, that happens to us. That happens to Sherry and I. That happens to all of us who serve and work in this church. Uh, It it can be extremely discouraging. You can feel like, why am I doing it? Why am I pouring my... This is what Solomon came to. Why am I pouring myself into er, everything? Why am I working so hard to build things that seem so difficult to make them last? I need a new perspective. Here we find Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Verse 1, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. Circle that. When I, Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. Ecclesiastes 9, we just continue. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. And no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. Now no, notice, very, very important that you notice the word under the sun. Very important. When you see all these cynical and discouraging comments that describe the way you feel if you're honest. If you're honest, you know this is how you feel sometimes. You feel, I don't get any better reward for being faithful and working hard. And as I look around this room and see some of your faces, I know your stories. And I know that a lot of you feel this way. You feel you've done your best at specific things, but the result was not what you'd hoped they would be. Remember, that is under the sun. That is not totally how it is that's not the whole picture I said that's not the whole picture he goes on to say the same destiny overtakes them all the hearts of men moreover are full of evil there is madness in their hearts while they live and afterward they join the dead anyone who is among the living has hope even a live dog is better than a dead lion For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Now uh, let's read on. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness. He must have found out something. And drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Now, we're going to read a little more of that in a moment. But notice that even the hope of eternity, when combined with the insanity and depravity of people, can distract you. It can distract you from a life well lived. After all, after all of Solomon's analysis, after all of his frustration about about futility, he concludes with three great sentences. You got So you got to pick through here and discern what is under the sign and what is above the sign. I said you got to pick through these verses and see what's under the sign and what's above the sign. And he, it, it, I, I want you to see that there are three sentences that's going to make this all make sense for you and give you some keys to balancing out and not be distracted by man's depravity, not be distracted by by the mysteries of life and why people do what they do and not be distracted by the weight of eternity. I want to say this, and this is how I want to capture that truth. When you get rightly related to God, the certainty of your eternal future will productively and joyfully impact everything about your life now. Let me say it again. When you get rightly related to God, the certainty of your eternal future will productively and joyfully impact everything about your life now. How well-oriented are you to God? Are you letting God... Be the center of your tension. Have you gathered all your limited understanding of people and all of mystery and all of eternity? And ha- have you done what a lot of people, here's what a lot of people have done. A lot of people have, have done. So, well, God, I've studied people and I've studied life. And God, I got this. I'll see you in heaven, but I got this. I figured it out. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do it. God, I'll take over from here. I want to move you from that. I want to move you. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but he concluded that he wasn't wise enough. He concluded that he didn't know enough. He concluded that he could not operate without God at the very center of his being. He could not operate without knowing the wisdom of God that was above his own wisdom, that he could not operate unless his eyes were fixed on the Lord and unless he knew what God was up to and what God was doing. Tommy Nelson has a great series on Ecclesiastes, and he's one of my favorite preachers, pastors, uh, uh, Denton Bible Church in Texas. He says this, and I want to read this illustration to you. He said, one time a few friends and I flew in a small plane to the town of Lake Placid, Florida. The plane was an old prop job in the middle of the flight. We got socked in by a wall of clouds. Vertigo came over me, and I didn't know if I was up, down, or sideways. I looked at the man next to me, and he was sweating. I said, what direction does it feel like we're flying to you? He said, I don't know, but I think we're upside down. By that time, I felt like we were flying straight for the ground. Then I looked at the pilot, an old guy who wore a leather hat with flaps on his head and a big white handkerchief around his neck. While I was scared stiff, he was whistling and having a good time. I said, don't these clouds make it hard for you to see where we're going? He said, oh yeah. When I look out the window, I can't tell anything about where I'm headed. He goes, why aren't you a little more concerned then? He pointed down to the gauges on the panel. He said, see this right here? It never lies. There's a Delta plane over there, and there's an American Airlines plane over there. The ground is down there. I know who's talking to me on the radio. It's Leonard from Fort Myers. I know right where I am. Old man Solomon stuck his head out the window and said, yikes. Life is pointless. People are crazy. People will do bad stuff to you. You'll work all your life to build a ministry or to build a kingdom or to build a company. And your kid will take over and your kid will be a fool and destroy it like Solomon's kid was. Solomon looked out the window and said, this world is as crazy as I thought it was. There's no hope. And then he looked into the face of God. He looked at the instrument panel. He didn't look at the clouds, but he looked in the face of God. And then he said, no problem. The righteous and the wise are on course and have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Everything is just like it's supposed to be. Verse nine of chapter one, chapter, verse one of chapter nine. So I reflected all of, all this and concluded. And he's talking about all that futility. I said, when you read Ecclesiastes, you, Ecclesiastes will make you crazy if you're not careful. When you read it, you just go, "This guy, this guy's on drugs." But you've got to be able to pick out the verses that are talking about life over the sun, as verses as opposed to life under the sun. In verse 1 he says, I reflected on this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in the hands of God. It's not in the hands of the crazy people around you. It's not in the hands of the fools. It's not in the hands of the depraved and the unrighteous. It's, It's not in the hands of even the best of human beings. It's not in the hands of my denominational leadership. In my, in my church, it's not the hands of, 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 of the trustee board of this church or the leadership or the pastoral team of this church. What I do is in the hands of God. God is right. We, see, you're going to either get discouraged or you're going to participate in human depravity. You're going to either go around creating unprovable stories or you're going to try unhealthy escapes from all of life's mysteries. Do you know about those unprovable stories that you make up? Because your brain hates a vacuum. Your brain hates blanks. And so your brain fills in the blanks and makes up stories about why people are doing what they're doing. I was talking to a friend the other day and we're talking about a situation in his life. And I start spouting off about that situation. I start telling him how it was. And I, I got to the end of what I said, and I had made three or four comments about an individual in his life that is not treating him right. I had defined that guy, and I had, I had told him exactly, I knew exactly why that guy was doing what he was doing. And when I got done, I looked at him and said, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I have no idea if that's why that guy is doing that to you. I have no idea. And I can do one of two things. I can keep, as as Steve Light calls it, I can keep looping. I can keep making up narratives. That's what's wrong with the news media today. They're just making up narratives about stuff. And it's crazy. It's just crazy. A lot of you have stopped watching any news because everybody just makes up stories. They make up narratives. Well, let me tell you where that comes from. That doesn't come from the CNN or Fox. That comes from the human soul. The human brain does that, and your brain does the same thing. Your brain does the same thing. You make up stories about your spouse. You make up stories about your kid. You make up stories about your pastor. You make up stories about your president. You make up stories about everything because your brain craves information. And when you don't have it, you'll make it it up. And it's been proven by science that your brain gives you a chemical reward for making up a story, even when it's not true. Solomon says there's a better way. Forget making them stories. What good is it going to do, even if you do understand why somebody's a jerk? So you figure it out. What have you accomplished? What is, what's that going to buy you? Oh, uh, you, you, you think somebody's going to pay you for that information? You're going to write a bestseller? What, you're going to make a movie about it because you figured out why somebody is selfish or rebellious? God said, look at me. In my presence is fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. We either cling, you know, we, we, we'll either cling to a believe-only salvation or a, engage in Christian workaholism or just live for the next party to deal with the weight of eternity. But God has a better way, a right way. A way of wisdom and a way of joy. God allowed futility to exist. You need to understand this. And we read it in Romans a few weeks ago. God has allowed futility to exist to drive you to stop looking anywhere else for resolution but Him. I said God has designed us to live in this futility so we would stop looking other places but Him for answers. Ecclesiastes reveals this, and you're going to see this. Ecclesiastes reveals that God has called us to work, and he's called us to worship, and they're not the same thing. That's why he created the Sabbath. Amen? Let's let's read. Let's just look at this again. So I reflected all all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they are doing in God's hand. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. I won't read the rest of that. Perhaps we could say... And these words are all one needs for living well. These words that I just read to you. Let me break it down for you. Validation of our life and the celebration of our labor comes from God. I said the validation of our life and the celebration of our labor comes from God. The righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. It's good to keep score. It's good to have analytics. When I visited the Blessing Barn Home Store yesterday, that place was crawling with people. And that's very affirming. And I don't know what they did yesterday, but I'm sure they had a good day. That's very exciting because it means we'll be able to keep all those programs alive that help people. But at the end of the day, you can't put our reward in a report of any kind. Because at the end of the day, it's the sense of the celebration of God that keeps us in the game. You know that satisfaction of a job well done? That's not just a feeling of your own ego. That's the feeling of the presence of God. When you do, when what you do is in God's hands. When what you do is in God's hands. Uh, John Oliver over here, I might have shared this before, I don't remember. But one day, John, I saw you come out of a classroom up here. And you had a big old smile on your face. And I said, John, what's going on? And John says to me, Pastor, I just got paint out of carpet. (laughs) God has gifted John to get paint out of carpet, God has gifted John to take care of buildings and facilities. And God gets pleasure when he does it, and that's his reward. That's his reward, because his works are in the hands of God. He wasn't smiling that day because anybody knew. He wasn't smiling because of, it, because of anybody else, but because of an inner satisfaction that he had within himself of a job well done. And that's what the wise person learns to live for. A wise person learns to live for the approval of God. Amen? Amen? The whole reason, number two, the whole reason you and everyone you meet is alive is to discover and display the power of real hope. He said a dead lion, a living dog is better than a dead lion. We're put on this planet to let people know how valid they are. We're put on this planet to give people dignity even if they see themselves as a dog. We're here to give them dignity and let them know they matter. We're not changing the world. We're not changing the world. I hear that phrase all the time, we're going to change the world. We're not changing the world, we're, but we're living advertisements of the change that is coming to the world. I said, we're not changing the world, but we're living advertisement of the change that's coming to the world by the power of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The surety of eternal reward is not only important but necessary. However, the impact of discovering and displaying hope is in the here and now. First Corinthians five nineteen. But we read it while ago. Without eternal hope, we are miserable. Think about that. Think about that verse for a minute. Stop and think about it. That that with with hope only in this life, we are most miserable. Notice he did not say he did not say we're going to be miserable till we get to heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say, he he said the hope that we have eternally is impacting us now. That we are not miserable now. That the misery doesn't stop when you get to heaven. The misery doesn't stop when Jesus comes back. The misery stops now because of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Somebody say Amen. The reason a live dog is better than a dead lion is that a living dog still has a chance of ending the misery of being trapped in futility. And every one of you dogs out there, you have hope because you have a hope of discovering that your life matters and your life matters because it matters to God. I am on earth to remind the living dogs that they're better than dead lions because there's still hope that they can do more with their lives and just be consumers. Amen? Amen? Now listen to this. Number three, your ultimate defiance of futility is that you regularly and righteously enjoy the things of this earth. God established the Sabbath at creation. Notice that. God worked six days. He rested the Sabbath. God didn't cancel the Sabbath after we messed everything up by plunging the earth into insanity with the original sin. If anything, he doubled down on it. And he made sure the Sabbath was included in the law of Moses. He didn't say, you people messed up. You messed up the world, planet that I gave you. You ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You're going to work seven days a week now. You're never going to get a break. Because you've made such a mess of things. You're going to have to just work for me and never enjoy my creation until we fix all of this mess. So don't you even think about taking a day off. Don't you even think about doing anything you enjoy. Don't you even think about it having some good food that you enjoy or taking a walk down the beach. Don't you even think about it because you are all losers and you all messed up what I gave you. That's how you act. But that's not how God acts. That's not God. God's not even looking for you to fix it. God said to, to, to the serpent back in the garden, he said, he said, listen, you have afflicted man's heel, but the seed of woman will, 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 will bruise your head. It's going to be the seed of woman. It's going to be Jesus Christ that's going to put you down, not, not the working and the ability and all the labor of men. Not going to be that way. Not, God not only up the sabbath in the law of moses he put in seven seven feasts that they had to have every year god god never communicated no more enjoyment of creation till you fix this mess that would be anti-grace that would be like sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill and having it come down we're to work hard yes but we're commanded to build margin into our lives we're commanded god is still in charge of saving the world not you I said, God is still in charge of saving the world, not you. There's nothing as crushing as perfectionism and as cruel as utopianism. That we, through our efforts, are going to create a perfect world. There's nothing as crushing and that always, always becomes oppressive when we have utopian dreams. And we don't put our futures in the hands of God. Don't let depravity, mystery and eternity distract you from having some Rocky Road ice cream. All right? In fact, let the passing pleasures of creation remind you that in his presence is fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you get rightly related to God, the certainty of your eternal future will productively and joyfully impact everything about your life now. Our work is not our worship. The Bible says His works praise Him. That's when we can build margin into our life. That's when we can have some rocky road. Because our work is not our, our worship. His works are. Healthy people can engage in times that only praise God and not themselves. So we go to church. We hold our spouse. We have fun with our kids. And it's in that space that we worship and we know God more fully. Now, listen to me as I close this morning. How do you apply this message? Pastor, how do I apply it? Here's how you apply this message. You get happy in your work and you get happy in your leisure. Because when you work, this is very important, and if you didn't listen to anything else, I hope you'll listen to this. When you work, God is enjoying you. When you work, God is enjoying you. And I like it when God is enjoying me. God enjoys my labor. When I am putting forth effort to do good, whether it's cleaning around the house, or it's counseling a broken-hearted person, or it's laboring over a text that I'm trying to understand so I can somehow try to make it interesting to you on a Sunday morning, God is smiling. God loves it when I work. It makes God happy when I work. God is enjoying me when I work. When I play, when I have leisure, I'm enjoying God. When I work, God is enjoying me. And when I have enjoyment of God's creation, I'm enjoying God. There's work and there's worship. Work is for God. Worship is for God. It's both. For God. If you don't want God to use you and and enjoy you working, then you're selfish. When we can't enjoy God, you're neurotic, you're anxious, you're fearful. When you can't let yourself go and have a moment of absolute pleasure, then you're not, you have an intimacy problem. You, 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 have, you have a fear problem. And God, Solomon, gets, puts it all together. God, that's why God gave us this wonderful plan of work all day, every day for six days, and then have a Sabbath. That's why God says, okay, I want you to have these built-in times when you get done working, and you go enjoy life because you're not responsible. I'm still God. I'm responsible. I'm going to bring all this thing together in the end. And in the end, I'm going to take all your good works, and, and you're going to meet me someday. And I'm going to reward you for every single good thing you did. Nothing you did, nothing you do is going to be lost. You're not Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill and having it come back down. No, every time you roll the rock up the hill, God God moves it forward. And then you do it again tomorrow. He moves it forward. You get to eternity. You're going to find out how you're going to find out how high the mountain was that you created. It's going to be wonderful. I said, it's going to be wonderful. Hallelujah. Imagine what would happen if you, if God was the reason you did all your work this week. What kind of beauty and quality would that produce? Imagine if God was the only one whose validation required you to be happy this week. Perhaps I would stop being so unhappy that people often only see the one thing I failed at instead of the 99 things I did right. Perhaps I wouldn't worry about that so much. It's the one callback I forgot to make, not the 30 calls I make. God saw them. Well, God knows, and God holds it all in His hands. In the end, He will say, well done. Imagine what would happen if you saw leisure and pleasure as an act of worship because you're celebrating God's beauty and God's creation. That God, you didn't create sandy beaches or sunsets or your spouse or any of those things, or that food, the raw material for that food. So, enjoying life is transcendence. I said, it's transcendence. What if you saw it like that? Well, you wouldn't self abuse if you did that. You wouldn't abuse other people with pleasure. You wouldn't get addicted to pleasure because you would know it was a part of your worship of God and life would be so much more meaningful and your ministry would be meaningful. If you actually had fun for a change, imagine if the whole Christian community started living like this. Why? It would be heaven on earth, wouldn't it? And that's what it will look like when we rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Let's stand. This is response time, at Bethany. If you want to get connected with Jesus Christ and you don't think you are, come down and ask these beautiful people to pray with you. There's communion available. Listen. This is not a day of labor for most of you. For some of us, it is. But for most of you, it's not a day of labor. But it's a day to enjoy God. Let's take the next 10 minutes and enjoy God. Come and receive communion and be prayed for. Anything you need, these guys are waiting to pray for you about it. God bless you. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org.